Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Concerning Moab, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, woe to Nebo, for it is laid waste. Kiriathaim is put to shame, it is taken. The fortress is put to shame and broken down. In the Old Testament, the nation of Moab were living under the delusion that God's kindness to them was God's unconditional approval of them. They were arrogant enough to think their works and treasures were enough and their lack of humility was of no consequence. It's not a place we should want to find ourselves and the warning is there for us now as much as it was for the nation of Moab. Join Dr. Corbett now, his message, Because You Trusted in Your Works and Treasures. So this is dealing with Moab. What do we know about Moab? We should know that when this comes on the historical background of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Remember Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his wife were told, Lot, his wife and his two daughters were told, flee the city. So they fled the city. Remember the one instruction they were given? Do not look back. <laughs> And, and, and of course, that has a heart thing. You know, when you come out of the world, do not look back and pine for the world again. Burn your boats in the harbour, to quote you know, Cortez, who, who, who colonised South America. And so Moab came about as a result of this episode. If you don't know the story, the story goes something like this. That Lot's wife did turn back and she became a pillar of salt, it says. Now she knew the consequences of looking back. Maybe she didn't believe it, but she does now. She discovered that the warning given to her was indeed true. All right. When Lot and his two daughters fled to the mountains... His two daughters thought, oh, great. Now, we will never find a husband in these mountains and we will never have children. So the story goes that they got their father drunk and had sexual relationship with him. And the result is that one of the daughters conceived and bore a child and that child was the young boy, Moab. Now this is interesting to me. Who's at fault in this story? Well, let me back up and give you my, my life strategy and reword it into this question. Not, not who's at fault. Who's not at fault in this story of the birth of Moab? Well, there's two answers I hadn't thought of. There's one, one, I was looking for Moab. Who said Moab? Thank you, Tracy. Someone else said it, I don't know. Moab, he's not at fault here. The circumstances in which he was conceived and born were less than ideal. But he is not to blame. Now, someone else said God. That's, that's true. Actually, that's profoundly true. So here's something about Moab and God. 
I don't know necessarily why, apart from the fact that I've come to know that God is a phenomenally gracious and merciful God, that something happened that night when Moab was born in the heart of God. And it goes something like this. Let me unpack the story of Moab from this point on. Moab grows up, fathers his own children. They have children. They have children, so he's grand. And next thing, they become a great nation. Something in the heart of God said I, something like this. Moab, your beginnings are less than ideal and it's not your fault. I will look after you. I will look after you. And so we find Israel coming out of Egypt. And Moab, if you can imagine, here's the Mediterranean Sea, here's the coastland of Israel, here's the Jordan River, on this side is where Moab settled. And Moses wanted to come through here to get into the promised land. And God said, don't you dare set one foot in the territory of Moab without their permission. Now, if you know anything about what God said about the other nations surrounding Israel, that should cause you to go, why do they get the special treatment? Because that's clearly not what he said about other nations. So, maybe apart from Edom, and that's another story altogether. But here's Moab. Somehow they've caught the favour and attention of God. And so God said to Israel, to Moses, ask permission before you Go into the land. Do not go into the land without that permission. So Moses asks for permission. And what did Moab say? No. And God says to Moses, then that's the end of the matter. Find another way. This is intriguing. Why does God care so much about Moab? It seems that God does have a heart for those people whose start was less than ideal. And we could go through scripture, we could find other examples of this. Quite arguably, King David. And I haven't got time to talk about the fact that out of the list of brothers, he's the only one who's not mentioned in connection with the mother of the other brothers. And there was always a bit of a cloud over David as well. I and mean, he caught the heart and attention of God. So this is... I find this intriguing, and I want you to see the point here is that sometimes children are born, sorry, children are conceived in less than ideal circumstances. And God often has a great plan for them. Some of the worst words any child can ever be told is, you were a Mistake. No mistakes. It was not that child's mistake and it was not God's mistake. It may have been someone's, but that child is not a mistake. That's the first thing. I just want you to see that. So, as I said, Moab was a neighbouring nation to Israel. It, it had the favour of God, bizarrely, I think, it had this unmerited grace of God, this unmerited kindness of God, and it, it eventually grew into this great nation 
that had never been invaded and had its territory taken. Never. I mean, that, it just, just, it, it's incredible. Sure, they went to battle and lost battles. Sure, they went to battle even against Israel when it went into civil war and the northern tribes of Israel uh, did battle with it as Moab came in and Moab lost and, and they were made forced to pay taxes and all this kind of, but they never lost territory. Quite incredible. Well, as the years went by, as the centuries went by, this became a bragging point to their children and their children's children. We can never be defeated. And so they built these huge fortresses, as we have just read in verse 1. And they took great pride in these fortresses. Moab had taken, if you remember the story of Israel coming out of Egypt and then coming into their promised land, one of the tribes, the tribe of Reuben and the half-tribe of Gad, I think it was, said, look, we're actually quite happy on this side of the river. This is not the promised land, but we're actually really happy here. We'll settle here. And it caused some problems. But anyway, Moab came in eventually and took one of their cities. That was a bit naughty. Took one of their cities and named it Nebo after one of their gods. Hmm. So here's, this is interesting because when Nebuchadnezzar started to uh, conquer Judah. We we read in Second uh, Kings that the Moabites also came in and raided Judah as well, taking people and stealing their things and so on. So this was a bit naughty, considering how Israel had treated them, been kind to them. God had been kind to them, and they weren't returning the kindness. At all. So, despite being shown this great kindness by God, and I'm mindful of Romans 2 4, where it says, Don't mistake God's kindness. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And yet they didn't repent. So, here's Moab being shown great kindness for not just centuries, but for nearly a millennium and a half. And all it's done is cause them to be arrogant thinking they were favoured by the gods, not God, which must have broken God's heart after all he'd done for them. And so we come to verse 2 and it says this, The renown of Moab is no more. In Heshbon, they planned, so they took counsel and they planned, disaster against her. Come, let us cut her off from being a nation. You also, O madman, shall be brought to silence. The sword shall pursue you. You'll notice in your Bibles, it actually indents every second line. What it's trying to tell you, what the English translators are trying to tell you, is that this is poetry when you see that. So it's not like, you know, justified or whatever to the left. It's, this is poetry. So you'll see that displayed in your Bible where it kind of indents and indents and puts one word on one line and things like that. It's telling you this is Hebrew poetry. So in Hebrew poetry, they did, they did strange things, like unlike we do in, in English, we rhyme words, you know, 
Roses are red, violet, violets are blue. Some poems rhyme, this one doesn't. And so, but in Hebrew, they, they, they would make a statement and then make a similar statement. It's called parallelism. That was kind of Hebrew poetry. But the other thing they did, and we'll see in a moment, is that they, they took words that if you just changed the sound of it slightly, it meant something completely different. So I'll show you that in a moment. So Moab was, was suffering. Oh, Moab was suffering. And, and they were suffering from the, one of the worst kinds of delusion, self-delusion. When you're suffering from self-delusion, how do you know it? How do you know it? Because you're self-deluded. You've convinced yourself that you're right. And they were they they convinced themselves that God's kindness meant his unconditional approval. That that's almost the height of self-delusion. And many today, I suspect, are suffering from a similar self-delusion. Where they think, well, God's, you know, no thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening hitting me now. Therefore, God must approve of my lifestyle. And you know. There, poor Fred Nile. Every year, when the, the the so-called Mardi Gras started in Sydney, you know, you'd see him on TV say, "I'm praying for rain and thunderstorms," and and I'd go, "Oh, this will be interesting." And no thunderstorms ever came. Thinking, now, what are the people who are participating in this think? Do they think, well, he prayed for thunderstorms, they didn't get it? Does that mean God approves of what they're doing? And this is dangerous thinking. It's actually self-delusion. To think that just because you're not being smitten, that God must approve. Because Moab hadn't been smitten for centuries, millennia and a half. It hadn't been smitten. All right. And yet, they heard the prophets. They heard Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah prophesied about Moab in chapter 15 of Isaiah. He prophesies. He prophesies their downfall. He prophesies that their land would be conquered. He prophesies it. And in Isaiah's day, the Assyrians came and they did defeat them. And it became just a foretaste of what Nebuchadnezzar was one day going to do. So these guys, Isaiah gave them a prophecy. And yet they ignored the prophets. They ignored the warnings that God had given them, which is interesting. The favour of God and the favour of God in this instance looks like God warning them and they largely ignored it and they hadn't humbled themselves. All right, verse 3. A voice, a cry from Horonaim. Desolation and great desolation. Now again, we in English are going to read this and go, I got no idea. No idea. So this is what's happening in the Hebrew. He's, I mentioned Jeremiah's saying this in poetry. And that's not easy to do. That, that's really clever. It tells me that sometimes when you've got something really important to say, what I might call earnest, which means this is not a joking matter. This is not something we can mock or make fun of or make light of. This is really serious. The way you convey a message like that is just as important, if not more important, than the message itself. Jeremiah has conveyed this in memorable poetry. Really interesting. The other thing he's done, which does make it even more memorable, is he's used 
a very clever technique called pun. He's used words that are pun. And in fact, we see this in the opening chapter of Jeremiah, where the Hebrew word sounds like the Hebrew word for something else, which is the actual point of the prophecy. So he's used pun. All right, let me give you the examples that we in English, we we miss. But here's some of them. We've already read about Heshbon. In Heshbon, you will devise plans because Heshbon means to devise plans or take counsel and devise plans. So when he says there is now a plan devised for the destruction of Heshbon, you can see, that's a pun. That's very clever, Jeremiah. Well, that's what I did. And the other one, Horonaim means two caves. And so he says, in Horonaim, there is desolation and great desolation. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Isn't that clever? So the caves have got, there's desolation and great desolation. So you can see what Jeremiah is doing here. He's using puns to, which would have had a sense of, wow, wow, look at that. And then the other one, madman. The Hebrew word madman means silence, and it says the madman will be silenced. So this is what he's doing here with this language. And I think this is important when you read the Bible to understand maybe there's something else that the original audience heard that we don't hear today because we're, well, you know, we're, we're a millennium and a half removed from when this was spoken. So this is really intriguing that there is more going on here than perhaps we realise. Next verse, it says, Moab is destroyed her little ones have made a cry. Now, I read this, and I, again, because he mentioned something like this about the Philistines. Remember where he said, you know, the fathers will give up their own natural affection for their children. And here he's going, when God does this because of your arrogance and your pride, it's going to be your children who will be the victims. And this is, I think, the, the point here is that so often we, we fail to appreciate that our sin, and I was actually initially going to use other words like our failures, our little slip-ups, but I thought, no, blow it. It's sin. Our sin affects more people than we realise. And can I tell you, as a pastor, when I'm counselling maybe a a husband or a wife against, against going down a path of life where they have become embittered toward their husband or wife and now more interested in someone else who's giving them attention. (laughs) Where's this going to go? And then the next time I see them is when I don't see them in church. And why don't I see them in church? Because they've gone and done the very thing I warned them, be careful, or you could find yourself in adultery here. And they wind up in adultery. And they are self-deluded to think, now I'm happy, and that's what really matters. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, can I tell you, life can sometimes hurt, and marriages can fail, and God can restore and thank God, and God can put a red line on the page and go, let's start again, and let's start maybe a new chapter, a new person. I, I, I understand that happens. I really do. I really do. But before you go there, I've never met a person who has said, you know what, I don't have any regrets. Oh man, I've never met a person who said that. Verse 5. 
For at the ascent of Luhith, and Luhith was up in the hills, they go up weeping. For at the descent of Horonaim, they have heard the distressed cry of destruction. And we need to know that Moab's fortresses were their works of pride. And it was a source of great national pride. And this is what he says, and it's quite strange. Flee, save yourselves. You will be like a juniper in the desert. What's a juniper? Well, the closest we've got, we've actually got quite a few of the juniper family growing in, in our property. The, the kind of the pine trees, in, in nursery terms, called, some of these are called castor and golds. And they're part of the juniper family. They're kind of like a piney tree. But you can have them as a small bush. Maybe you've got them in your garden, just and they're kind of like a little pine tree thing. So they can they can be a little pine tree. They're really hard. They're, the reason we've got them there is because they're really really hard to kill. <laughs> and man, we have killed some trees. But those guys, they grow and they're tough and they're hardy. And the prophet says, you should be like one of those trees out in the middle of the wilderness. Why? Because this is what it looks like. See that thing? That's a juniper tree. That's been there for centuries. Look at that thing. Gnarled. It's The wind has blown it over and it just kept growing. You know, look, it actually got knocked over and it just kept growing. It, it, it's like, a, it's amazing, that juniper tree. It, it, it's, not in a, it's, it's not in a cluster of juniper trees. It's just there by itself. And it's just, I got knocked over. I just get back up again. I got no, it's got no boundaries around it. We planted some olive trees. We're trying to put an olive grove prayer garden up there. And they're up there one day and the wallabies ate every leaf off them. I don't know. Is it possible to get drunk on olive leaves? Because if it is, there's some wallabies going... But, so we had to put protection around them. Well, that's the royal we. I didn't do it. And so... But these things, no protection. You don't need to put protection around them. Wallabies take one bite out and go, ugh, yuck. They just leave them alone. That was awesome. So, so here we have these juniper trees, and a juniper tree grew up in the wilderness without any protection. And God's saying, that's Moab, Moab. This is how I wanted you to live with me. I wanted to be your protection, not your fortresses, me. It's a really interesting heart cry from them. Next verse. For because you trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken. And Chemosh, which is the name of a god, a Moabite god, shall go into exile with his priests and his officials. So there's the, our, our, our key verse. Because you trusted in your works and your treasures. Verse 8. Give wings to Moab, for she would fly away. Her city shall become a desolation with no inhabitant in them. And I'm reminded of the psalmist who said, Oh, that I had wings that I could fly. And who of us has not felt like that? Who of us has not said, Oh, man, I wish I could just start this day over again. I wish I could be like, give me one superpower. What would every man in this room want as their one superhero power? The ability to fly, guarantee it, absolutely guarantee it. If it's not your number one, it's definitely in your top 20. You would want it. <laughs> the ability to be able to fly away. There's probably a few women who'd like that as well, for their man as well. And, 
And here the psalmist who's saying, I'm in such pain. I've got so many people against me. There's so many things going wrong in my world. Oh, that I had wings that I could fly away. And here the prophet Jeremiah is saying to Moab, I wish you could have wings for what's coming upon you now. You need to fly away, but you can't. You're going to have to face this. Oh, boy, because this is going to go really bad for you. You think... You think that you're in cahoots with Nebuchadnezzar, but he doesn't give a rip about you. And I just see this as the same as the world. People think I'm really hip and cool and I'm in the in crowd and the world doesn't give a hoot about you. Doesn't give a hoot. We were talking with someone the other week who's been coming and investigating Christ and mainly comes to our night services and and they were saying, I'm just realising that my friends, they don't really care about me. As long as I've got money, they're happy to come with me to the pub. But they don't really care about me. And so sometimes the world can be really cruel and we can end up feeling particularly lonely. We can end up feeling particularly hurt. And I want you to know this, that despite that, there is someone who sees and he cares. And Jesus declared him to us. And there may be times when you too feel like running away. I just want to get out of here. I can't handle this. I'm just going to flee. I'm going to go to... I'm going to go to live in Antarctica, that's it, I've had it here, which is not probably a great plan. But you may feel like that. And instead of running away, last little line there, don't run away, run to. And that's what the psalmist said, you are a strong tower and I can run into you. Don't run away, run to God. And here's where I want to just bring this to an application and please... As I've tried to show you, this is what Jeremiah was saying to Moab. Now what I want to do is go, so what? How does this affect us? Well, let's look at what we've just seen here in this story of Moab. They're about to take a pounding. They're not going to be wiped out because even in this pounding, there's something still in the heart of God that says, I care for you because of how your journey started. It's amazing. And yet, despite that care and despite that kindness from God, they didn't repent. And they became proud. And so here's my plea. Let's not become proud like that. And, and let's be on guard against those little Moabite attitudes, those proud attitudes. Someone comes to you and says, oh, I think you could do better. Don't tell me what to do. Don't be like that. That's a Moabite. And if, someone, if you say to someone, I think I, I know how you could do better, and they say, well, don't tell me. Say, oh, I think that's a Moabite. Have you been to Moab? Like, you, what, what is this? Let's, let's be humble. And so a humble response is, oh, hey, I, I'm always open to learn. If you can teach me so I can grow, I'd love to hear it. That's a better response. So let's not be arrogant and proud. And maybe you are here, maybe you're listening to me right now, and you're thinking... Boy, you know, maybe I have been shown kindness. Maybe I can look back on my life and there's a number of times when I should have been dead. My life was over, but I've been preserved. Maybe there's a reason for it, and there is. And maybe you're here and you feel hurt and you feel lonely and you feel like no one sees and you feel like no one cares, but there is. And I want to introduce you to him now. Can we just pray in this moment? Let's just pray. Father, for the ones who feel so lonely so hurt, so alone, I pray that you would be to them a husband, a brother, 
a father. For the one who hurts because of what has been done to them, I pray, Lord, that you would be a healer, a repairer, one who takes that which is broken and puts it back together, one who takes pain upon himself so that we can know comfort. And if that's you and you know you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you may have been coming to church all your life, but not at any point have you surrendered. Have you said, Jesus, come into my life. I want to live for you and I want you to live in me. I give my life to you now. I thank you that you died on that cross, that first Easter as my substitute. Now, Jesus, I thank you. Forgive me and come into my life and help me to live for you. And Father, I pray for us as a church that we would indeed have a heart that's open and humble and not arrogant and proud. Help us to be the kind of people that really do care, that really do have compassion and really do want the best for others. I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We can all be guilty at times of being so proud of our own accomplishments that we get a little cocky and forget to acknowledge God as our source. The warning is there for us to humble ourselves before God. More from Dr. Corbett next week. His message, Do Not Do the Work of the Lord with Slackness. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Works and Treasures, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.